So this is week three of our uh, sermon series entitled The Gospel B.C., uh, looking through the Old Testament uh, for pictures and images and um, places to see that Christ is pictured in the Old Testament for our predictive nature of the Old Testament and those that lived through those times to know that God had made a way where there seemed to be no way. And last couple of weeks we've looked at a couple of instances of uh, folks and I want us to go today to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. The book of Jonah a lot of you may have attended a Sunday school or children's church or nursery or something in your earlier years and times and heard this story. Um, Dusty preached a sermon on this a few years ago, and I'm sure I won't do justice because I remember then that he was digging through this book and and bringing out things that I hadn't thought of before. Um, Jonah. So we're going to start in Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is going to be our text that we'll read and then talk about a few things. If you have your Bibles open to Jonah, say amen. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the what they call the minor prophets, not meaning that he was less important, but it's less in number of chapters. But that's what they call them as minor prophets and major prophets. So Jonah is one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. How profound. <laughs> How odd. How strange. Verse 2, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the mornings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and your prayer, and my prayer went up to you in your holy temple. Those who regarded who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay for what I've vowed. 
Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry ground. Isn't it amazing how we pray more during times of necessity than of times of normal? That hard times cause us to cry aloud and spare not, lift up our voice like a trumpet to God, as the psalmist says. And here Jonah, a holy man of God that's writing this down for us to see in words what he had been dealing with. You know, some people could say this is symbolic or it's a picture that it never really happened. But in reality, I think we need to look at this and say, is there other text or scripture to validate this? So in the New Testament, Jesus talks about Jonah, that he was somewhere for three days. And Jesus uses that image and that picture and those words of this Old Testament prophet to say, that's what I'm going to do too. I'm going to be gone three days, but I'm coming out. His disciples that he was talking to couldn't understand Travis or listen to the words which he was saying because they had these preconceived notions in their mind of what they thought he was talking about. But Jesus knew and was foretelling what he was actually going to deal with. So that was fake 100%. She cried aloud. That's why I said that a minute ago. She took it to heart, didn't she? She's like, I'm going to. I'm going to practice that one. So that's what you sound like to God, just so you know. <laughs> it ended just as fast as it began. So imagine God up in heaven looking down at you and you facing something that you don't want to face, and this all of a sudden you start, like that, and then, then three seconds later you're like, okay, it's over now. He's like, tell her, tell her. You'll be best friends all the way through school. You'll have to give her more lectures than that. I think she was saying she acts like her dad. Just saying. <laughs> Got an amen from Mama on that one. But the beauty of this text and this story is that Jonah apparently had had such a relationship with God that he knew, knew no matter how far I get away or how much wrong I've done or how much sin I've committed, I can come back and pray again. So think about this and use it for an example for us that no matter how far you feel that you've strayed away or how far that it seems that God is away from you, he's only a prayer away. Won't you look at your neighbor and say, you need to pray. <laughs> You're not too far. Amen. God still hears. But Jonah prayed this prayer, and the beautiful part is that God answered back by talking to the fish. <laughs> 
So sometimes you pray and expect God to answer you back. But he's actually speaking to something that's holding you. Anybody feel in bondage? That the New Testament says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does easily beset us. And let us run the race. Sometimes we need to lay some things aside and sometimes things get a hold of us that we need God's help. Amen? I found myself farther away from God than I ever thought I would go. Because when I gave my life to him or when I issued my statement to him, Jesus, this is my life and now it's yours. Be the Lord of my life. I thought I would never turn back. I thought I would never give up. I thought I would never slip up. But here I find myself, even though I've been to the Holy Temple, even though I've been to those places and met God and, and sung uh, praises to God and done all these things that Jonah had done. This is a prophet of God. But here he finds himself in willful disobedience to God's plan for his life because he didn't like it. And I just wonder how many of us, sometimes when God says go, we say, I'd rather stay. Or when he says turn left, I'd say, I like the right better. When his voice doesn't line up, Dusty, with my plans or my thoughts or my intents or my desires, it's a juncture where I have to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to stick with God? And do what he wants me to do, even though it's uncomfortable. Or am I going to do what I like? Because that's what I desire. So Jesus shows up all throughout Jonah. I think the story, uh, one of them is this picture or image that Jesus says later for three days, you know, I'll be in the depth as well. The depth of the earth. I think it's in Luke 11, I believe is where it's at. And... There's all kinds of things throughout this that I want us to just think about or ponder about or consider for a moment. And this is a thought that hit me that says, it's kind of hard to play hide and seek with an all-seeing God. <laughs> you ever play hide and seek with a cheater? <laughs> Come on now. you hide. Surely everybody in here has played hide and seek in your life at some point. And, and those ones you know real well because you say, okay, you've got to be over here and you've got to hold your eyes and they're looking like this. <laughs> and they find you too fast, don't they? Now, I'm not saying God's a cheater because he's the one that makes the rules. <laughs> and his rule says he's going to look at you no matter where you're at. You can't hide from him. Adam and Eve saw pretty quickly that they couldn't hide from him, didn't they? So what makes things were any better or any different if that was the first man that was created, man and woman, Adam and Eve, then why do we think we're any better than that and why I'm going to hide from God? It's hard to play hide and seek from God. Why did Jonah feel like that he had this certain right that he could just take off and say, you know, I'm going to do it my way? Because when we do that, we can get comfortable pretty quick. And while he was running from God in this story, you can read this whole story. It's just four chapters. It's really short. That's why it's a minor prophet. But Jonah takes off, and he, he goes down to, to Joppa, and he gets there, and he buys himself a ticket. So apparently he had enough money 
He was buying himself a ticket to get on a ship to go the exact opposite direction of where God told him to go. You're going to Nineveh? No, I'm going to Joppa. I'm going to go that way. And he gets down there and he even spends his money to get on a boat to get as far away as he could. And it says in this story that Jonah, while he was on that boat, that he was asleep in the belly of the ship. He was comfortable where he's at. I've paid my own way. I've earned what I've got. I've worked hard for my money, and now I'll just pay my way into this comfort. Was he hiding from God? I don't think so. Don't this story sound somewhat familiar of you, of somebody that even in the midst of a storm and rain and wind and turbulent places in an ocean, being asleep in a ship? Don't that sound like Jesus to you? So Jonah knew enough about God that he knew, I can rest in the midst of a storm. But sometimes storms are there, and God even controls the storms because it says in this story that God caused these things to happen. So God's at fault for giving us snow today. God's at fault for it being 18 degrees today, this morning, or whatever it is. God's at fault when our water lines freeze up, right? Let's blame God. If this is what Scripture teaches, He controls it all. And sometimes those things happen for a lesson for us to understand God has got this, and there's nothing wrong with being comfortable and sleeping in the belly of a ship, but if it's the wrong place, you shouldn't have been there, then you shouldn't be sleeping. So Scripture teaches us, you know, to not slumber or sleep, to always be aware, New Testament tells us. But here Jonah finds himself down in the belly of the ship, and he's asleep, and all the people up top, the ones doing all the work, keeping the boat going, the ones that he had paid them to take him across this sea, they're up there, they're troubled. They're perplexed. What's going on here? Must be somebody bad in the boat. And they wake up Jonah, and Jonah says, yeah, I made God mad, you know. Huh? What? You made God mad? And you paid us to get on our boat? Thanks a lot, troublemaker. <laughs> Come on now. Has anybody ever got on your boat that was causing some trouble? Maybe they even paid you. Maybe they even helped you. Maybe they even give you some substance. But was it worth the fare? For the trouble you're facing. So these people decided and they cast lots, you know, and they, they cast it out there because it's all a game of luck. You know, life's just a game of luck. So let's just throw out something and see, see who they fall on. These lots fall on. And guess, guess what? Fell on Jonah. It's really him. God's mad at him. Let's throw him over. Jonah said, just throw me over. You know, I'm running from God anyway, and I am the problem. So just go ahead and throw me over. So they grab him, and they throw him over. And think about these words as we read this prayer in chapter 2. Jonah's saying, your waves come over me. I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I've run so far that this is it. And when death comes knocking at our heart's door, we have a reevaluation of our life and saying, I'd rather see the temple again. He had this picture, this imagery that come back of this holy mountain, this temple in Jerusalem and, that God had built through Solomon and all these that he'd saw. And he's he seen this imagery come back. Even though he's drowning in the sea, he yet sees there's a place I'd like to return to, the glory days of God. And he prays to God, take me back there. God grants him the wish, causes the fish to puke. I don't know what kind of fish it is, you know. I think Dusty even covered that. It could have been a whale, could not have, could have been a whole lot of things. 
Might have been the Loch Ness Monster. I don't know. God's got it all anyway. So it doesn't really matter what kind of fish it was. It's that it happened. A bluegill, yeah, that's it. Yeah, they, they're pretty good. Or men are chub. So, it's hard to play hide and seek with an all-seeing God. You can pay for your boat ticket, but where's it taking you? See, he probably had a destination in mind when he left that shore that the boat ride was going to get him laying over to the other side, and he was going to get back out on dry, dry ground. But God said, you got a place that you're getting ready to go that's going to cause you to return to me. And dry ground is not going to do that for you, so I'm going to put you over the edge of this boat. And you're going to be in some deep waters, and it's going to be a storm of life that you seem like you can't handle anymore because when you can't handle it, I can. That's what God does for us, right? So what you're paying for sometimes isn't what you're going to get. So the next time you buy some tickets to a concert, I hope you end up in a church service. Wouldn't that be maddening if you got your heirs tour tickets and <laughs> paid a lot of money for them and ended up in a church service? Wouldn't that be beautiful? And it goes on to say, you know, in, in Jonah, this story that as he gets puked out on the dry ground, that then his eyes are opened, his heart's more receptive to what God said and says, you're, you're going over there. You went to Joppa. I don't know where he got puked out on the ground at, but it's somewhere on the shore. And I don't even know that it might not have been the farther white place away than where he got dropped off, than where he began his journey. So as he took off and going towards Nineveh, God's speaking to him and telling him, here's what you're going to say. You're going you're to preach to these people that you don't like very much. And whether we like to admit it or not, in all of our hearts is some kind of bias. That we have a type of people we like and a type of people we don't like. It doesn't mean skin color. It doesn't mean how much money they make. It's, it's not these things. It can be different for everybody. But those people that you don't like very much, and maybe it's those that have broken the law. You know, sometimes I've, I've heard from people here the last few weeks that was talking and, and saying, you know, that needs to be a crackdown on crime and people need to pay the price. And That's easy when you're talking about somebody else. It's kind of weird how that works, ain't it? They need to pay for what they did. I can't believe they did that. they got to pay. And those same people that say those type of things are the ones that call you and say, hey, i got a speeding ticket. Can you help me out? Is it true? So we can have our opinions, we can have our thoughts, we can have what we think justice is. But is that what God calls justice? When we talk about God's mercy, is it just mercy for us or mercy for everybody? When we talk about grace, is it just for me? Is it for everybody? So our bias has to be left at the door because now God loves everybody, and that ain't the way I like him. I don't, I don't like him like that. I want him to cause justice to be done. I want some heads knocked, right? <laughs> need, some, need to be some conditions here. 
in part of this sermon thing, they, they have a place that talks about this, uh, an agency that some woman um, founded was for prison ministry. And they, they go into prisons and they, they have these people in prison that have committed some terrible crimes. Um, and next thing you know, they're in prison and they start this ministry that they could find people where they're at and find methods to reach them to draw them to the gospel. And some people call that jailhouse religion. You know, they got all these terms for all this stuff. But in reality is the goal for us to punish or to reignite a passion in them to believe that they can do different or be different. So is our justice system just about making somebody pay or is it rehabilitating them to come out better than they went in? And that's a philosophy thing that you're going to have to decide for yourself. I can't do that for you, but in God's way of looking at it, the people you don't like very much, he still likes. The people that disgust you, that you think is beyond being able to be saved, he's saying, I still love them. And when I send my son Jesus, it's just as much for them that's committed sometimes these awful sins just as much as your little bitty itty sin that you think it is. That's the kind of God we serve that says sin is sin and salvation is salvation. But this woman in this case that they talk about in this sermon series that is, is of this guy, I think his name's Jonathan, and he went in and he had some severe things that he had... Uh, Got in trouble for, I think it was a 20-year or 20- sentence. That's a long time. Jonah didn't like it when he was bound up for three days. This guy was bound up for 20 years. That's a long time. So they started talking about changing the law in the state where he's at. I think it was Kansas, and they was talking about this uh, changing the law, and they was going to reduce it by so many percentage to be leniency to go into these programs if you'll take these programs to try to be rehabilitated versus just paying the price then we'll let you get out early. But it's going to be proven. You're going to prove what you're capable of that you have to change because we don't want you committing those same crimes again. The deal is don't do it again. So he said, the guy said, and it's a testimony thing, and I'll share this week the video or whatever, and this guy says, you know, that when, when they said that, that there's going to be this percentage, it was five years getting knocked off of his sentence. If you're in for 20, You've been in there eight years, and they start talking about, hey, we're going to knock off five years. You're, he said he went in, his heart started beating and racing, and anxiety came over. He's like, man, I hope this comes to pass. Wouldn't you be hopeful? And he begins, and he goes into this program and signs up for this program because he grew up in church, and his dad was a drug addict, his mom was a drug addict. He had all these issues, all these reasons, all these back behind the scenes things that had affected his life that caused him to be in the situation he was in. Now, he, you can't blame others always, but you can definitely have a rearing that causes you to be in the wrong position. Amen? But he had blamed God. He had run away from God. They grew up bringing him, and even, even in their sin state, they would still take him to church and make him go to church. But he grew up resenting God so much that he caused himself to act out some of the things that he did. You can beat, beat on people all you want to, but eventually somebody's going to catch you and you're going to go away for it. You can't punch people in the face and think it's okay. 
Amen? Unless it's tough man or golden gloves. Then you get by with it. Because it's approved, sanctioned by the great uh, emperors of the state commission. But he finds himself in this state, and he joins this club, and, and, and whenever he joins the club, he begins to see when he first walks in that there's people in here, and some of them are gruff. I'm talking about people that's tatted up, that he had saw out on the courtyard that had beat people, that had been in retaliation. If you do this to me, this is what's going to happen to you. And he goes in this room where they're at, and these officers are in there right with the guards are right with the people that's in the jail. And they're in community together, playing cards, talking about what they're facing, going through some studies to figure out how to become better, to be rehabilitated. And he began to see that, and, and he began to, uh, it builds trust. Because really the problem he had was trust. And a trust issue. Can I trust people? If I can't trust my parents, who can I trust? He finds himself in this predicament that he says, but I want to change. If they give me five years off of my sentence and I get out here in 15, I don't want to redo what I've done before. And when that question and those thoughts begin to inundate his heart, it caused him to change his thought process to say, what can I do different to be different? And can I find some people that I can be accountable to that will hold me accountable for my actions so that I can begin to change and process to do this? It's all biblical based. Next thing you know, he finds himself in a situation that he joined the group, went through all the studies, still didn't commit to Christ, but he's trying to be better. How many knows God's with you when you're trying? Even when you don't trust him, even when you don't feel him, even when you're not giving your life to him already, Jesus is still there prodding you along and patting you along, just like God was with Jonah. Yeah, Jonah, you've ended up in a bad situation. I'm still going to nudge you along here. And Jonathan ends up in this situation where that they say and blame something on him inside the jail that said he did something. That's a bad place to be. When you're in prison and, and, and they're coming down with you and saying, you, you have done this. We know it has to be you. We know it does. Can you imagine the anger, the fear, the thought? I've went through all this, I've studied, I've tried to be better, I'm doing everything I can, and here the devil is kicking me in the teeth again. And he finds himself in this situation, and he goes in, and he thinks he's going into this hearing. And as he goes in for this hearing into jail, it's not like the normal court system that you just go into. You know, eventually it'll take you to there, but they do their own uh, documentation. <laughs> the people that want you to go down are the ones writing it up. The warden don't like me very much because I've got tattoos on my arm or whatever. Here he finds himself in this situation. He goes in and he goes into this hearing and he thinks that it's all is lost. That he's going to lose all that ground. He's going to have to continue to serve the five years that he thought was getting lenient C4. And when he goes in there and sits down, the story goes in this that, that the guy, the guard that had become his friend, that he, he actually cried to in one of the, the sessions that he was in, said, I want to change. I know you're a guard. I know you're wearing the badge. I know you've got the gun on your hip. But it says this big brute of a man started crying and saying, I want to change. We need in our repentance to be sorry and desire change. 
And when he goes in and sits down in this session, that guard that he had cried out to comes and says, I know for a fact it was not him. He pleads his case before the trial. This was not him. You've got the wrong man. And when you've got somebody like that at your side, that's on the right-hand side of the law, that's attesting for you, it was not him. That's what we all have. <laughs> if that's not a picture of Jesus, I don't know what is. When we are the ones in the wrong, and sometimes we get accused of things that we didn't do, that Jesus still comes and says, no, it wasn't him. And he even does it when we do wrong. The Bible says in the New Testament we have an advocate with the Father. The intercessor that we have is Jesus. That's who we pray to for our salvation and ask him to apply the blood that he shed upon the cross for our sin. Jonah, <laughs> go to these people you don't like very much. How about that? Become a guard, be on the right-hand side of the law. You're a Christian, you go in there, and somebody starts a ministry, and they say, we need some guards to come in and do some of these Bible studies with these people that's behind bars that you don't like. They're the people that want to shank you. People want to kill you. Would you do it? You might have an opportunity to stand up for somebody that's being wronged, just like this guard had done. So we could not like people, and we can be on the right-hand side of the law all we want. But in reality, God puts us in positions and places to be an advocate for those that cannot help themselves. So Jonah finds himself in a situation to go to this group of people that he don't like very much. And he goes over to Nineveh and he gets there and he preaches this big sermon and tells them, you know, God's getting ready to rain fire down on you. Brimstone's going to hit your head. Sodom and Gomorrah is going to happen right here in Nineveh because he hates you, you bunch of sinners. When he tells the leader of the community that, the leader comes out and says, okay, we're going on a big fast. Let's do three-day fast. How about that? Everybody in town, 120,000 people, everybody on a fast. These are sinners. But because their leader heard it and said, here's what we're going to do, and they went on a fast and began to pray to God and say, mercy, have mercy on us. What do you think God does? Has mercy on them. You know what that does to Jonah? Makes him mad. Why? Because I just told him, God, that you're going to rain down fire on them. You're going to kill them because they're sinners. And now, here they are. They've, they've asked for forgiveness, and you're, you're, going, to, you're going to love them? You're, you're going to love the people of, of these kind of people, these sinners? I don't like that, God. And Jonah gets mad at God because God answered somebody else. It's funny how he's all happy when God answered him when he's in the belly of the fish. Amen. And God calls the fish to puke him out because God still had a plan. It's different when I get forgiven or when I get saved. But here he finds himself, God, those people are unsavable. Those people in the prison, you can't save them. I don't like them. They did wrong. Right? I don't like these kind of people. They was born on the other side of the tracks. I don't like them. Don't save them, God. Just save us. God's not like that. For God so loved the world. The world. Think about Jesus telling Nicodemus this. God so loved the world, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was this high and mighty ruler of the, of the house of Israel. One of the greatest of, of, of some of the intellectuals of his time. Be like going to somebody with a doctorate degree 
and tell them, well, God, God likes everybody. He even likes the people with a 1.8 GPA. Amen. <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. Because <laughs> some people think their couple of dots behind their name makes them more important to somebody because of who they are or what they have or what they've learned. Hogwash. God loves us all the same. So here Nicodemus is hearing this, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about this born again stuff? What is wrong with you? I see these miracles you're doing. I, I see all these things that's happening in your ministry, and I believe in all this stuff, and it's, it's caused me to question, and, and I'm coming here asking questions at night because I don't want everybody to see me with my doctorate degree up here talking to this rabbi that grew up on the backside of the hill. Got baptized in the Jordan by John that we just beheaded. God so loved everybody, Nicodemus, that he's given his son. We don't know what happens to Nicodemus, but we know at the cross that he causes some things to happen there. Nicodemus takes up for him. So we find ourselves in positions. What are we going to do when God likes others as much as he likes us? And we have to decide, what am I going to do? We need to do what he asks us to do. And when he answers in ways that we don't understand or we don't like, we need to be happy about it and just get on with our bad self. Amen? Jonah don't do that. And he goes up here on the side of the hill. He's going to pout. Any of his kids, you know what it's like when they get in their pouting fits. And Leslie says, I still do it, so I must be childish, but... I'm glad Jesus said, you know, unless they come as little children. I'm just, I'm just acting out scripture. He goes up here on the side of this hill and he has his little pouting fit and he's there and it says God caused this, like this plant to grow out of the ground and sitting up on the side of the hill in a desert, basically Iraq today. He finds himself sitting here, and he's, all these people got saved, 120,000 people. How dare you, God, save that many people? I don't like it. I just want me and my people to be saved. I just, I just want the Israelites to be saved, just Israel. Nobody else is allowed. And God's saying, I'm bigger than that. I've created all men in my image. I'm thankful for our founding fathers that set up our country to say we have inalienable rights given by God to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I'm glad for those things. But here Jonah's looking down. He's mad. He's pouting. And God even causes a, a, this little plant to grow up over him with a big leaf. I don't know what kind it was, but had this big leaf. And he's sitting there in the shade, mad and pouting. And it says the next morning God sent a worm. <laughs> What's a worm doing in the desert? in the hot sun and it says that worm crawls up on that and can you imagine Jonah sitting there pouting mad at God how dare you I don't like this this little worm biker worm or something crawling up the side of this plant and it burls itself through the stalk of this plant and it says it withered away and Jonah's sitting there watching this happen in slow motion and when the plant and the leaf withered away, it says he was in the hot sun. 
What are you going to do when God turns up the heat? <laughs> it's too hot in the kitchen to stay on the porch. I don't know. But he finds himself in this situation, and I just want to read. Because we're looking for Jesus in the B.C., right? The gospel back there in the B.C. And how much can we learn of Jesus from this Old Testament minor prophet? And God, in the last verse of this wonderful book called Jonah, verse 11 in chapter 4, it says, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock. The book of Jonah ends with a question. Just like a lot of people tell me all the time, they'll come and ask me a question, and I'll answer with a question. Jesus answered with a question. Most of the times in the Gospels you see Jesus, he'll answer with a question when people ask him a question. Because he's trying to make you think. And we don't know the rest of the story with Jonah. We're not Paul Harvey. Right? We're leaving it here with a question. God is asking Jonah, and should I not pity Nineveh? Is my grace not sufficient for them too? You needed me, Jonah. And I'm saying they needed me too. And you just need to be okay with that. The Gospel BC is teaching us a lesson. Love those who breathe air because God loves them. And as Christians and as people of the church, we should be there for them. Just like Jonah had to take the long way around to get to those that he didn't want to get to. I thank God for the people that's doing the work in Vanceburg and for the homeless and some of that that's here and I, I'm thankful for the people doing all the work they're doing to help feed those that don't have food that Leslie talked about a few weeks ago about our missions that we give every month here at the church to give to those places to help stuff be available for those that need it because that's what God would do and I want to be like him don't you no matter how far you've ran no matter how hard you try to hide, God still knows. So if you would, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and know that you're an all-seeing God. That we can't hide from you. Just like Jonah couldn't hide from you. That you found him, God. And even when he was in the belly of the fish, at the depths of the sea, you were still hearing the prayers that he was praying. And God, we know that there's people in this room today, Lord, that we've been hiding. We've been trying to deal with some issues on our own. We've been trying to do it our way. God, through this message today, you've awakened our hearts to see to just stop hiding and to do your will. So God, if there's people here today that are ready to make a move, 
and to transition towards your plan. I pray that you would give us strength and boldness. To be like those in the New Testament that cried out, hear me a sinner. That we wouldn't be like that righteous that comes and says we've earned our way or we've paid our way, but we would come to you like the other that said, hear me, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Give us strength and courage in this place. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Knock on our heart's door. Make us to be like our Heavenly Father, that we would love others as much as we love ourselves, if not more. In Jesus' name. Everybody bow your head, close your eyes. No looking around. Is there anybody here today that say, maybe you've never given your life to God. Maybe you've heard about Him. Maybe you grew up in church. You find yourself here today and you're hearing this message and you're saying, I need God's help. I've ran too long. And I'm ready to give Him my life because I've made a mess of it. I want today to be the day of my salvation. If that's you, I'd just like you to lift up your hand and say, that's me. I want to give my life to God. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Anybody here? Today's that day. That Jesus is still knocking on your heart's door. Say, come and sup with me. Now, is there any Christians in the room that may say, you're like Jonah, that you've known God, you've been around Him, you've worshipped, but you found yourself that you strayed and you've run the wrong way. And He's saying, come back to me. Cry out to me in the depths of your despair and watch and see what I can do. I'll cause the fish to vomit you out on the dry ground so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That you will preach and people will be saved. Commit your life to me in my ways. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hand and say, that's me. I'm coming back to God. I'm desiring that he helps me in this situation that I find myself in. I feel like I'm drowning. Anybody? Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your plan of salvation. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for all that you do for us that we don't even recognize or see or give you credit for. God, help us this week to look out amongst your people that we would be like Jesus and see that the fields are wide unto harvest. God, that their hearts are ready and prepared for the message of your son, Jesus. And Lord, that they would repent just like the people of Nineveh repented, a ungodly people repenting for their sins. Help us, O oh God, to give a very clear message and to see your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.